On this podcast, we're breaking the silence. Welcome to Mental Health. It's time to talk. Here's your host, Alan Kaler. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in on today's show, our 20th show. Can you believe it? 20th. On today's show, we have for you a grief our certified grief recovery specialist. We have a woman who cares, a woman who wants to genuinely help all of us feel, to move through grief. Yes, today we have Sarah Hines. Sarah, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm great. Thank you very much. Sarah, Thanks. I'm curious. What exactly led you to being in this space? I mean, obviously we all feel, obviously we all go through grief, but you have now made this your mission, your work. How did you ever get into this space? It's pretty amazing. Um, actually, it was about 20 years ago. I was I volunteered uh, in palliative care for men who were dying of AIDS. Mm -hmm. And um, that was an epidemic at the time this we're going way back so i'm dating myself just a little bit uh but it was when uh there was no where men that were dying of aids were shunned from their family for being gay they were shunned by the, their community because no one wanted to get near them and they were really dying alone and there was something inside of the grief of having of men grieving alone and dying alone that really just set me into activist mode and uh, i've been doing it part-time for the last 20 years and up to about four years ago did I actually really take it into my own hands and, and do this a little bit more uh, full-time. So now I'm in full swing. <laughs> Good for you. And I know that you've said before, Sarah, in those moments before death, there's something very, well, I think you actually used the words beautiful, right? Like what are some of those lessons that you've learned as you watch people go through that process? When people die? Yeah, like when yeah. they're approaching that. There's a, there's, um, there's a crack that happens. Um, it's really hard to describe. Uh, and I feel a lot of the times when I put words to it, I actually do it a bit of a disservice. So mm. I'll do my best. But the idea of it really is there's this uh, lightning. It's, it's almost like the weight of the world kind of comes off their shoulders a little bit. And there's a softening around them um, that really kind of just makes them look like everything is going to be okay. Hmm. Um, and when you can kind of sit in that moment um, and just actually be present in that moment and witness that moment, you'll see it. Um, and it's it's just, it's a beautiful moment to be and humbling moment to witness um, that not very many people get the opportunity to see. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. I can also appreciate that it's hard to articulate anything that somewhat spiritual in nature. Yeah. And so you've observed a lot of this. And for people who are going through it themselves, mm. who are walking through it, and because on this podcast, we talk a lot about men, obviously, yeah, there are significant differences, aren't there, in the way that men grieve versus women? Big time, big time. And, and you know, it's those that identify as male, there's, there's a very, there's a much different mentality around what grief means to 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 them, um, as opposed to what 
to those that identify as women? And and how do we how do we play in between those two? And how do the how do we create safe spaces for those two to be able to grieve in the way that they feel that, that they need to grieve? I mean, all grief is different. And um, but we're we're typically looking at grief from a female perspective because that seems to be where we gravitate to around those and I funny quotes around soft skills. Um, so how do we help men who are grieving and who we typically see only those hard skills through? How do we give them space spaces to do that? Yeah, and so are there some general things that you're seeing in terms of you know? those that identify as male versus female, you know, whether it's the more projection or turning towards anger a lot more quick versus internalizing, going within sadness. I love it. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I mean, and like, it's, again, we are like being a little stereotypical and again, everybody grieves differently, but when we look at um, that, that population on a whole, um, men definitely grieve more internally. They hold it in. Um, uh, the sadness, they hold the sadness in. And they will cry, but they cry alone. They cry alone in the shower. They cry alone in the car. Where, you know, it's very acceptable for a woman to gather with girlfriends or family and loved ones and cry. Um, so there's there's these, that's just one small little difference that we're seeing in, inside of the way that um, society has accepted grief out of women or the visual um, visual grievances uh, of women and not of men. So there's there's a bit of a societal shift that needs to happen around this. But before that can happen, we need to ensure that we're not trying to fit men into the same kind of field as women. We want them to be able to grieve the way they need to grieve. Um, Coping mechanisms are another really big one. Um, mm-hmm. Women will uh, typically, and I'm being very typical, typically will go down the path of I just need to hang out with my girls or I need to be under the covers for four days. Um, men will, you know, uh, build a tree fort in the backyard five times and go, you know, bungee jumping or sky. Like they'll go and do these like very outwardly overt like kind of hands busy kind of things. Um, and so it's just those kind of coping mechanisms that are, that are a little bit different. Um, what else? Oh, typically men like to grieve, like, or they like to, like the way that men bond is another good example, right? They find connection more in doing those things like going fishing or going for a run, or they sit at the bar at the pub, right? Shoulder to shoulder. That's, more of the way men tend to connect with other men or, or men support other men. Whereas um, with women, we wanna like sit on the couch and drink wine, or we wanna sit and have face-to-face conversations rather than shoulder-to-shoulder doings, right? So there's just these little tiny different nuances and they're not, not one isn't better than the other, it's just different the way that we grieve. Yeah. Right, and I guess, fair to say that the key is simply to give yourself permission to feel, to grieve? And do you find that men have a greater tendency to just deflect, avoid, not want to, not want to go within? Do not make me feel. No, right? And I'll figure it out, right? Because they they fix things. That's what they do. 
right? They're, they've, they've, and we can go all the way back to this idea of hunter-gatherers and what their role is in society as being protectors, right? And what happens when, and just as an example, their child dies. That protector role was, was, is gone and they didn't fulfill it. And there's a grief around that specifically. And, and, I, and I, it's, it's interesting, actually, because we talk, there's a lot of talk right now about disenfranchised grief. Um, and disenfranchised grief is really grief that we don't really give credit to, as an example. So um, a good example of that is abortion, right? When a woman has an abortion, there is a grief that happens around that, um, around that situation that we don't, we, we don't talk about as a society. Mm. Um, uh, pet loss is another good one, right? Mm. We don't we don't give that very much credit, right? In society, as we would other things, right? So men, in a lot of ways, have this have this as well, right? Um, you know, when a when someone's child dies, they typically worry about the mom, right? They worry about you losing your baby. They don't really talk to to the man of the fa of the father, right? Um, and and so there's really a few things, and and maybe that's by design, right? Maybe it is, but there's something to that um, that that support system that we typically use inside of grief that just doesn't give men the support that they need. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's a big part of why we need to build proper supports for men around grief, I think. A hundred percent. Do you think, Sarah, that it also plays a factor where people just aren't sure necessarily how to have those conversations with the men? I mean, especially if, say, a couple, to your point, like if, if there's a, whether it's through abortion or the loss of a child, it's just easier, more comfortable to console, to have a conversation with a mother than a father. Well, I think the conversation can happen with a mom, right? I think fathers are, are too busy kind of holding it all in mm. because they have this idea and it's not their own of their own making. It's of our society's making that their role as a man is the masculine role is to hold on, is to keep their stuff straight, is to really keep the bonds alive is to fix things. And so they, they're stoic through mm. it, right? Where, and, and we're used to those supports being talk therapy. We're used to those supports being um, just go to the gym and work it out, right? Just go grab the bottle, right? That, those are the things that men use to cope with grief. Conversation is not what they're looking for. So how do we support men? Well, in the work that I've done, most of the work that I've gotten has come from wives or girlfriends who have come to me and said, my husband needs or my, my partner needs help. And I don't know how to support them. Mm. And so I, I, a lot of the times I have to go through the system and then they come back and they're like, okay, that was good, but I really hate fishing. So what do I do now? <laughs> so like, you know, it's this idea of going in and saying, hey, let's go do something you like. Let's do it together right? And just sit with people, right? And say, like, I feel you're hurting. I know you're hurting. I'm hurting too. And I know, like, talking about it is not necessarily what's, 
what you feel is safe. And, and so maybe we could go and do this and have a chat about it, right? Maybe we go do some fishing and maybe talk about what we miss, right? Um, and those that's how we kind of get grief to come to the surface a little bit, uh, I find, with men. Yeah, uh, you know, and Connie, thank you. Connie's chiming in saying this, this is a very much needed topic, agreed. And to your point, you know, when you say a lot of men typically suppress, they stuff it, they bury it. I can't help but think about a hamster. You know, a hamster will, will kind of take all the food and just store everything in the cheek, but you can only put so much in there before something's going to come out, right? And do you meet with, uh, like, at, at what point do you find that, especially for the men, they're finally able to get to that point where, okay, I'm either, maybe it is this extreme, it's either I'm not going to live till tomorrow, or I think I just need to connect with someone like yourself who's certified around this topic. Yeah, it, and it typically has gotten to the point, and for women too, this isn't just men, but typically it, it comes to the point where they it's unignorable. Yeah. Right? So whatever that boundary is, right? Um, you know, suicidal ideation is a big one for, um, for men. Uh, it gets that bad, right, before they seek help. Um, they can look at the signs of depression and check off a few of those things on that list, and then they'll go see, seek help. So it gets pretty dark pretty quick for men. Women are like, they're a little bit more open with their feelings. They feel things through a little bit, and they're, they are um, quite right, and I think I might have depression. Um, and it's not to say that they don't go through those same things, um, but even admitting it is a hurt is a hard thing for for men typically. It's it's very difficult to even admit that there might be a problem, where women tend to be a little more curious around it. Um, so well, yeah, anger, right? It comes out as anger. It comes out as frustration. It comes out as uh, silent. I'm not saying a word. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to woodwork and I'm not going to say a word ever. And they're quiet, right? They're quiet. I'm going to go out and I'm going to go build a boat, right? It comes out in physically before it comes out verbally. Well, you you made a good point before too. It's it's. I think that people really get hung up in the approach. I'm going to guess that a lot of people who listen to this are, I mean, it's twofold. It's those who are trying to figure out how to best support the men in their life. And there's probably a few men who are uh, feeling it's a little more, comfortable, safer to just listen to, to this discussion yeah. via a stream or, or podcast. But I think that we overthink this when we're trying to support the people. And you said it perfectly. Like, first of all, let's just agree that silence is not the answer, right? To, to ignore it will not be the solution. And you said, mm -hmm. let's just sit with them. Let's, you know, is there a way, Sarah, that you help people simplify the approach when someone around them you just sense you know is struggling it it's it's a really good combination of um finding the right words and supporting it with action mm. so finding the right words is typically the hardest part and we and you you'll hear a lot of this in any kind of grief podcast or anything like that but saying things like oh at least you had time not helpful right comparing loss right? Oh, at least you didn't lose, you know, your son, right? 
there's always that comparison piece or, um, oh, God's got a plan. Like those things are just not helpful. Um, mm. But I understand why people say them because they need to say something. They feel like they need to say something. So typically what I advise is if words are hard, say you don't know what to say. Mm. And, and, and it's honest mm. and it's real and you're open, right? So it's very simple to say, that must have been that this is probably one of the hardest things I've ever heard of anyone having to go through. And I just don't know what to say to make there's nothing I can say that's going to make it feel better. I'm so sorry I don't have words for this, but I'm here for you. And it's that add on of I'm here for you. That is the action. Right. So it's not call me if you need anything, because no one's calling. Because what you've done is you've put all the onus on the griever to come up with your action plan on how you're going to support them. Well, that doesn't, that's not helpful. Like I'm not, I'm busy grieving, right? If you want to help figure that out, <laughs> right? <laughs> so how do we actually support it? We ask questions that have, or we offer things that have yes, no answers, right? Um, I'm going for a walk. Come, want to come? Right. Um, actually, I was at the grocery store and or groceries got delivered and they gave me an extra milk. I'm going to drop it off on your porch or your home. Right. There's all of these little tiny things that we can do to support them. Um, the loss of a spouse. Uh, oh, I just was remembering the other day a great story about Kate. When you're ready and you want to hear it, let me know. Mm. Right. You've got these moments where you can create um memories with someone and support them so that all they have to say is yes or no. But the very first place is to say that you don't, you can't find the words. I'm sorry. I just can't find the words, but I'm here. Right. It's so much better than trying to love and light them out of it because <laughs> you can't. So um, I think even with men uh, being able to say, I'm so sorry, I don't have the words. Um, and I'm here if you want to go, you know, grab a drink, or if you want to go for a fish, or you want to go for a jog, right? Or you want to go, and I'm being stereotypical again, but <laughs> you get the idea, right? You pick up something that you want to go play some sports. Do you want to go, right? Like all of those things that we typically would do that's a little bit more action oriented, I think are really important to add on and make sure that they're yes or no answers. I think it's also really interesting. People have a hard time hearing no. Um, and I find it really interesting that we think that we're not being supportive if they say no. Um, and I'd like to just change the paradigm on that, that I would rather hear 8 million no's um, than not offer it because I thought they didn't want it. Mm. Right. So being able to hear no multiple times is supportive. Your words before the no, the question is supportive, right? Not the answer. So we need to focus on that a little bit more too. But I could talk for days. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing all that. Those are very good strategies, good ways to just leave those hooks. And I, I totally agree and appreciate that you brought up the need for action. And the thing is, people find out very quickly if the person is serious or genuine in that in in that uh call to action because if that person finally says yes or they reach out and they're ready to do something that but that other person's like oh shoot you know what i have to get to a meeting or hang on i just 
that's where that person I find typically reverts and goes backwards, right? That's it, right? Or like they're sitting there and they think, you know who I'm going to call? I'm going to call Alan, right? And they or they're, I'm going to go over and see him. And they walk over to you and you're surrounded by three kids. You've got the phone on your ear and your wife is like waving you down over in the corner, right? They're not, they're not reaching out to you. And you know you would drop all of it in a heartbeat just to help. So so do that first so that they mm. don't have to go through that and, and worry about, you know, getting up into your busy day. Yeah, totally. Do you find, Sarah, that when someone, anyone, finally gives themselves permission to feel that it's just like, it's this jar that opens and it's just blah. So it's happened a few times uh, where I really sat and I've just listened to the story. And it's amazing the story that gets weaved um, if you just give space to words. Um, it typically starts with the latest kind of story of grief, um, but then it goes into something a little bit deeper. And then it goes, well, maybe, and it gets into this questioning, into this fixing role, because men love to fix things. Mm. I wanna fix this, and maybe it's because of this, and maybe if I just fixed this, all of this would go away right? This would all go away. And then you start reverting back. And before you know it, you're listening to stories of how they grew up. Mm. Right? And it's just about listening. And it's amazing to see and hear um, the, the mind, the emotion work through all of it. And then in a moment, it's over. They're like, they realize what they've done. Right? And, they're, and it's scary. And it's scary to hear all of that. Um, like, I, I, I think it's a little overwhelming, to be honest. Um, and it's only happened for me in all of the work that I've done a couple times. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because you've said the word fix a few times. And if we can just remember, it's not our job to fix, but rather the power of listening. It is incredibly profound. I'm curious because obviously death is inevitable for everyone, but we don't really want to talk about it. I mean, even the, the idea of grief, do you find that we're much more reactionary opposed to like, let's, why, why the fear? Hmm. I, well, I have no idea. No, uh, I, I think it's twofold, right? I think um, we don't think, we don't want to think about death at all. Um, and that, and as a society, we typically um, have have kind of petted our way through it, right? Oh, don't like, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to just you just power through it. Just get through it. You're strong. Be strong. Just be strong. Love and light. God has a plan, right? All mm -hmm. of those things are typically the way that we soothe ourselves through grief. So when death happens and we're sad, we don't accept these emotions around anger frustration, sadness, all of those things we, are things we need to get over. Whereas, you know, when a baby is born, we're excited, we're happy, we're looking towards the future, we're, and those are acceptable emotions, right? So we've shunned the stuff that we feel when bad things happen, and we've exonerated, we're kind of like exalted around these, these beautiful um uh, feelings. And now we're stuck into this moment of birth or death. Well, I prefer birth, right? And we don't really see them actually as the same thing. 
um, this idea of a celebration of life. I think if we saw grief as um, not an emotion, but as a skill that we need mm. to build, that we would be much better to handle um, and accept our sadness and our lamentations around grief a little bit better. We'd be able to hold them um, in a way that, because uh, we're gonna hold them for the rest of our life. The uh, grief is, um, and you'll hear this all over the place, right? But the grief is this love affair in reverse. Um, you've got, you grieve because you've loved and how lucky are we to have, to have done that. Um, so to shun it or to get over it or to hide it um, is, is a really, is a really sad thing. Um, mm. I think is sadder than the grief itself, to be honest. Mm. Um, the other part of it too, is we don't really think, um, uh, much about this idea of, um, grief and what comes, what is grief and why, and why are we grieving? We're grieving because we were lucky enough to have someone amazing in our life. That's a good point. You know, you put a beautiful mm -hmm. spin on it. It's, it's like that saying, better to have loved and lost than never to have uh, loved at all, right? Good, good point. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I mean, I, I shared this before, but Brad's chiming in, love the idea of honoring all emotions, including grief and loss. Yes. It's, it's one of those, like there's so many layers to it, isn't there? Especially for men, because you have all those old stereotypes that still exists, and you've alluded to some of those, you know, be strong, be a man, put your head down, suck it up. Well, if emotions are energy, which they are, if we don't look at them, then obviously they become problematic. And you've also shared in our previous conversations that, again, not to generalize, but those who identify as male, they store grief differently, don't they? Yeah, the body, right? Well, women do too, but they, they, uh, because it, like, I think, and I think there's studies out there, so, uh, and it's worth researching, but uh, men actually, um, physical illness is a very big part of male grief. Um, they, they typically see uh, some sort of illness, physical illness come out within a year of a significant loss. Um, and I, I'll, I'll find the research, but, uh, cause I've read it before. I just don't remember where, um, and I'm pretty sure it was a, a good resource. So, <laughs> uh, I'll find it for you and I'll send it off. But this idea that, that it's all held inside, right. We've created this, you know, they talk about a man cave and all I imagine is like in the center of it is this big ball of grief. Right. Uh, like, no wonder we need to go isolate. We've got all these things we're carrying. Right. And how do you actually like sit down and hold all this big cement ball that we're ashamed of? Right. You're ashamed of having to hold it. Whereas, whereas typically what we'll see inside of, you know, healing circles or therapy is that now let's get it out. We're going to get it out by with talk therapy. Well, I don't, men don't feel safe talking about things. They feel safe doing things. And that's why you see those coping mechanisms. I'm going to build a treehouse. I'm going to build a boat, right? That's grief. That's giving grief somewhere to go. And it's not a bad thing as long as they're healthy things that were you doing, right? Um, we're not hitting the pub 
at nine in the morning, right? We're sitting down and actually doing something kind of giving our grief somewhere to go. So you see a lot of that happening uh, in, uh, in men specifically um, when it comes to grief because it's, oh, it's a, they're carrying a lot, a lot that they're ashamed to be carrying. Yeah, and shame is so toxic. And the thing that I found, and maybe it's more, you know, as a father, um, realizing that children are always observing, they're always watching and the reality is that if as adults in general if we cannot give ourselves permission to feel to grieve to be vulnerable then there is no way that those that follow will especially the boys right and so you you've touched on it already sarah but are there other ways that we can help men to be more vulnerable or create the spaces where this healing has a greater chance to happen? I, I, I don't, I'm, it, it's interesting because I find, and the, the, that's a very delicate situation, like delicate statement, because what I'm afraid of happening is that we are going to have to convince men that they need to be the way, they need to grieve in a certain way. Hmm. So I, what I, I would rather happen is that we meet people where they are and that where people are, that we give them a safe place to be able to grieve the way they need to grieve. And then inside of that, you will find vulnerability. You will find acceptance. You will get rid of shame around grief. They won't be isolated. There won't be guilt right? This idea of shame, guilt, and isolation, those three things alone, right, are, need to be released. And they cannot be released by, by in, invoking mandatory healing techniques, right? <laughs> it has to be, let me meet you where you are, and let's create a safe space, and you grieve the way you need to grieve. That's, I think, the core of what we need to do. And that's going to be different for every person. I fully agree. I am 100% with you that it is absolutely essential, critical to meet people where they're at rather than forcing change. However, I'll say this, Sarah, I have tried to create the space. Uh, here's just an example where I was doing a, a keynote with all men. There are about 50 men. And I said, after the break, we're going to push all the tables to the side. I have a talking stick and we are going to have a talking circle. And the fear was real. <laughs> but nobody, nobody ran. And, and what happened is, you know, the first few people passed, but then there was one who gave themselves permission to be vulnerable. Yeah. And then there was another. And so I feel, I feel like there, you know, if, if we create this space, people eventually will come. Sometimes it takes a long, long time. Yeah. But I also think that it's essential that some people just step up to the plate and say, this is what's going on. This is me. And therefore giving other people permission to do the same. Are you seeing some of that take Definitely. place, a shift in all the years, 20 years of doing this? Yeah, without question, right? I think um, because there's a safe space to do it, right? Um, when you push tables aside and you put people shoulder to shoulder, 
and you have one person who's willing to step into the circle because they've got the courage to do it, you're now in a safe place, right? When I sat bedside and I watched uh, a, a poor man grieve the idea of dying alone, it was a safe space, right? When I get on a, on a, when I do sales pitches for companies that I work with, a lot of times there's men and it, that I'm talking to and I'll get the one side of the conversation where they say, well, why do we even have to pay attention to this? And I'll also get, you won't believe what happened to me at my last job. And it ends in tears, mm. right? Inside of those moments, right? And so there is possible, there is moments where people can be quite vulnerable with their feelings and be open to it. And it gives me such, I don't want to use the word hope because I, uh, I find that a very difficult word to get my head around, but um, I find it gives me such comfort to know that there, it is possible, that there is moments where this is being, there's examples of healthy grieving for men. There is, um, there's just not a lot of them, but there's not a lot for society as, as a whole, to be honest. So we'll see, yeah. yeah. I love the word hope. I'm all about hope. And, and, and I know I do, you are. I do have that that belief, and I I love the fact that you have chosen to work in this space. And I personally believe, Sarah, that there's a lot of men who find greater comfort sharing some of those most personal, darkest moments with a female or someone who identifies as a woman versus a man, because there's that nurturing, there's that, hang on, maybe with Sarah, if I talk with her, I don't have to worry about some of those judgments that come from the old stereotypes and scripts from men. That happens. And then it, like, they'll tell me a really big story. Um, and then they catch themselves. Like I said earlier, they'll catch themselves. And they, I, I can't believe I just told you all that. Like it, ah. it, and, and, and it, and it, and it kind of catches them off guard a little bit and they kind of go, I am so sorry. And I'm like, don't be sorry for that. That was a beautiful story. And I'm just so honored that you would share that with me of all the people. Thank you. Um, and they were like, they're like, they don't want to hear like, it's like, I don't wanna. okay. Anyways. So when are we going to catch up again? Right. And I know, <laughs> I know, I know that I'll have to go <laughs> like, hi like five times before they'll even talk to me again and they will never mention the story again wow so it's it's a really interesting play um they need to get it it proves to me that it needs to come out um that it needs a safe place to land and on occasion uh that's me and i'm beyond grateful and humbled by the I, I don't even know how to describe just the honor, the honor mm. of being the one that heard the story. Um, there is something incredibly yeah. humbling, I guess, when they choose to share things with you, when they choose to share things with us. There's two things for me, Sarah, that resonated. You know, in that example that you shared, the, the individual will say, I'm sorry. And I think that, wow, we are often so quick to apologize for showing emotion or for maybe saying too much or revealing what's on the inside. But what I love is the second thing that you just validate saying something like, 
Thank you for sharing that with me. That was beautiful. And I know for me and for a lot of other people, it's key when we give ourselves permission to go to those places where we're just met with something that's that's not more shame-based or where they're uncomfortable and they just like, I gotta go. No, when you can just say, wow, thank you. Thank you for choosing me to share that with. That's that's amazing. It's amazing. It is amazing. You know, and we did, we sat bedside, I sat bedside for so long and I watched families become so operational around bedside because that's what we remember doing right? That's what we know to do. When's the next appointment? When's the doctor coming? Do we know what the next treatment is? All of those things are what people focus on at the end of life, right? And, and, I, and I continue to say those things are going to happen whether you remember them or not. What isn't good, you're not going to be around for is a moment like this, where you're sitting there with someone at the end of their life, and they've honored you with, the, with the allowing you to be present for it. It is that there's and I think if we we don't have these same barriers around birth, we're you know we get excited when we're allowed to be in the room, right? When a baby's being born, but we certainly don't get excited about being honored with the presence of being there when someone dies. Um, and we should be because it's it is it is one of the most humbling and most beautiful experiences um, that you will remember for the rest of your life. Beautifully spoken. And I really appreciate that you've made this part of your life's work, that you step into that space, embrace the mm -hmm. space. And I know that you do a lot of work with corporations around grief and loss, but you also do the one-on-ones yeah. or even groups, you know, virtually yeah. if need be. But if there's someone, Sarah, who's listening and maybe uh, connects with some of the things that you're saying or just wants to reach out, what's the best way for them to do that? Griefadvocacy.com. Uh, that's where I'm at. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm everywhere. <laughs> well, I'm not on TikTok. You're like the wind. I'm with the wind. No, uh, I, I'm on LinkedIn. So Sarah Hines on LinkedIn. I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm, if you look up grief advocacy, you'll find me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I really genuinely appreciate you taking the time to join us this evening. And thank you so much for all the incredible work that you're doing around this topic of grief around loss. Thank you. You're just an amazing soul. I adore you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sarah. And thank you so much, everyone, for taking the time to tune in. Take good care. And yes, be well.